Hello, Hoopaholics, and welcome back to the Box in One podcast. I'm Coach Spins here, and at the time of recording, it's literally a Maroon 5 song. Sunday morning, rain is falling here, but we've got a special guest joining us who's also in the same area that I, I currently live in, the DMV. It's Jake Rosen, at Jake in the Paint on Twitter, does some great draft work for the Stepian, as well as his podcast with Mark Schindler and Tag the Roll. Jake, thank you so much for joining us. The first and most important question, how are you? I'm doing great, man. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk some draft. And yeah, it's it's gloomy in the DMV right now, but we'll get through it. <clears throat> That's what we do around here, right? Always find a way to, to get through. We've got a, our team having a practice in about a couple hours now. So th this is definitely a hoops day. I know you're heading tonight to Maryland, Wisconsin, which you know part of the reason we wanted to bring up the timing of this podcast is because you know, Johnny Davis, I'm sure one of those guys that we'll hit on a little bit here today. Somebody you're going to get to see in person tonight. You must be excited about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I got to see Johnny in person for the first time uh, back during first semester. We actually went to the Indiana game with a couple of friends. So we were contemplating leaving at halftime. So glad we stuck that one out. <laughs> Johnny was awesome. And I don't know, Wisconsin, it might have something this year. Yeah, it's uh, it's certainly been quite the rise for Davis up draft boards. And, and we'll talk about him as well as some other guys. Our plan today is kind of twofold. One, to go over some midseason evals because we're nearing that halfway point of the year. Set the top 10 for each of us on our draft boards at this current point in time. And then maybe discuss a few of the one and done prospects. Some guys that have disappointed, some guys that might be late risers to watch to earn their way into the first round conversation. But before we get to any of that, Jake, there's one question that we ask every one of our guests when they come here on the podcast. You're up three with five seconds to go, and it's the other team's ball. Do you foul? What is it that you instruct your team to do? Yeah, I mean, when I saw this on the outline, I started laughing because um, when I was a senior in high school, we actually we were up three. Uh, we didn't foul in the state playoffs, and they hit like a deep bank three, and then we ended up losing in double overtime. So uh, this one kind of cuts – a little too close to home for me. Um, I personally like to foul. Um, I know I've seen all the research. It's kind of pick your poison. I, like I know there's not one concrete way to do it. I personally would rather trust my team to foul at the right time and box out if, and I also think one of the hardest things to do in basketball is intentionally miss the second one after making the first one, especially if we're talking about high school basketball players. Uh, I feel like it's just super tough. So I'd rather take the kind of three things that need to go wrong, which is you don't box out, they miss properly, they get the rebound and finish it, or you don't foul at the right time. I mean, obviously there are scenarios and places you don't want to foul, but I would tend to foul and just kind of extend the game and play things out. Yeah, it, it's funny. I think we're all kind of jaded by whatever personal experience we have yep. <laughs> in those late game situations. I know uh, one time in the NCAA tournament when I was in college, we were up three, I think five seconds to go, other team's ball, and we instructed our guy to foul, and he missed on his first attempt, just wasn't able to get close enough. The kid was really shifty. He was an All-American point guard. And as he went, you know, maybe three steps behind the three-point line is where he caught up to him, was about to foul. And thank goodness he didn't because the guy rose into his shot and ended up bricking it. We win, go on to the Sweet 16. But my goodness, like mm -hmm. that's one of those moments where you, there's no way to talk through every single what if that happens. You just got to trust your guys, have enough basketball IQ, and, and that things kind of fall the way they should. Absolutely. All right, Jake. So 
what we brought you here today to, to really talk about is the top of this draft. And right now, I think the narrative has been set. And I'm, I'm not one for always following the narrative, but also understanding that this is kind of a, a subpar draft when it comes to elite level talent, both in terms of the fact that we've been spoiled probably the last year or two in terms of how many elite franchise game changers there are or were available. And outside of what to me has been kind of a firmer top three or top four, it's a crapshoot. There's a lot of guys that are trading different spots. And, and again, we'll go into, into your take right there, but just give us right now the top tier of guys, those who you think are candidates to go number one overall in this draft class, how many do you have and who are they? Yeah, I mean, I see Jabari um, is making a push into like that top group. For me, it's been Chet and Paolo, and it still is. Uh, those are, if I had the number one pick, those are the only two players I consider right now. Um, they're two completely different players, and it's honestly the race for number one is getting a little bit closer than I even anticipated. I came to the year with Paolo number one by a decent margin, and Chet and Paolo, it's a little bit of both. Paolo has fallen short of a little bit of expectations in some areas that I hope he can pick up in but he's also shown some really impressive things and I think Chet's defense has just been so otherworldly good and I actually do like what I've seen on offense despite Gonzaga not really using him all that well in my opinion so those two are my top two um those are my only two tier one guys and then the next group would be with Jabari and Ivy I wouldn't consider those guys a number one but as you mentioned, I think those are probably the last two guys I'd feel comfortable taking at the draft slot that they're slated to go. Um, after four, it gets really wonky. Um, we'll talk about Johnny Davis, as you mentioned, and he's starting to play his way into that maybe number five spot for me right now. But that's not a typical top five prospect to me. Um, like if he was in last year's class, I'd probably have him as like a mid to late lotto guy in next year's class. He might be even lower, um, but you just have to work with what you got. Um, but I do think it's worthwhile to note that like this class in terms of depth and guys that I'd feel comfortable taking in the mid lottery, it's not really there right now, at least. Yeah. I think that that's again, kind of where the consensus and the narrative has been. And I find myself pretty much every week going through and reshuffling my draft board and sometimes internally, not necessarily trying to change the order of things, but looking at recent performances, overall stats, and just who would I feel comfortable with taking at the sixth, seventh, eighth pick. And last year, you know, I think Josh Giddy went six, Jonathan Kaminga seven, Franz Wagner eight, like all three of those guys, I would feel comfortable taking either third or fourth overall in this year's yeah. draft class. Um, and I think that even more than that, the guys that all went top five last year, which, you know, Cade Cunningham, Jalen Green, Jalen Suggs, Scotty Barnes, and Evan Mobley, I would put them all as clear-cut number ones in this year's draft class. I don't know if, if that's where you're at as well. The top three. Um, after I was – Suggs was my four, and, like, that was a drop-off with a tier. I don't think I'd have Suggs as number one guy in this year's class, but Green, um, without a doubt. Okay. Got you. Got you. So, so let's go into those two guys that you have up at the top right now, Paolo Bancaro, Chet Holmgren. You mentioned Paolo may have disappointed in some ways. Do you think that's lofty expectations for you? What is it that you're seeing that you want to, you know, have him get a little bit better at before he leaves Cameron Indoor? I mean, I think I just want to see him use the size more on the interior and score. I mean, a little bit, a little bit of that is how Duke uses him. When they do employ him in the post, the returns are much more encouraging than when he's ISO'd 16 feet from the basket. 
Um, I like the shot making. It's like very impressive considering where he was as a sophomore and junior, which was basically a sophomore and junior high school that is, which was basically just like a back to the back old fashioned big. Um, but I think it's a double edged sword as it always is with shot making. And I think he's maybe flipped the coin a little bit too much. And I hope him in conjunction with Duke can kind of reel that back in and like the dude's 6'10 to 55 and like is an absolute force and has great touch. He's very polished with his footwork and like he's a four and it's okay. You can post up. Um, and I think everyone, maybe himself included, is so infatuated with the perimeter game. And I'd kind of like to see him balance out the interior scoring a little bit more. Uh, the passing has started to come along as of late, which is good to see because that was something that I was really looking for early in the year and it wasn't necessarily there, but he started to get a little bit better there. And the defense is started to come along I think a bit as well um still can be a little bit lax days go at times doesn't feel fully committed but when he is fully locked in um some good rotations some good contests um I, I just would like to see him be a little bit more engaged on defense but I under I mean I understand it a bit yep yeah I I think Bancaro can kind of fall his way into like 17 and 7 just on, yeah. a, on a, any given night without having to, to really, like it's, it's just accidental for him. He's that talented of a scorer, finds ways to be physically imposing, whether it's in the open floor, offensive rebound, just positioning himself near the basket. He finds ways to be really productive there. Uh, I think he's a little bit less athletic than the guy that I'm going to bring up right now, but I see in terms of how he's best deployed and used a lot of LA Clippers, Blake Griffin, you know, that guy who before he really stretched the floor consistently to three, but was so good of an offensive option that you wanted to play through him. Where do you put him on the floor? And especially how do you make the spacing work when you have a true five man next to you? And that's where the Clippers had DeAndre Jordan. Duke has been pretty hell bent on playing Mark Williams for heavy minutes. And, and I think deservedly so. Williams is probably a first round guy and does a lot of great things for them. But I think right now, as you said, finding ways to post him up maybe a little bit more and optimize his usage. So it's not just elbow ISO, elbow ISO, or you know, top of the key face up, see if you can go at somebody one-on-one. -on -one. There are a lot of things to like in his game, the way that it has progressed, and I think the way that it continues to progress projectably. But usage is going to be the really big key for him in the NBA game. And from what I see, I think spacing in the NBA with more shooters, an elite point guard who knows how to manipulate getting him switches where he can operate more of a size mismatch than he does right now. I think all of those things bring out better facets in Paolo where he just seems like a very high floor guy in this class to where I'm, I'm with you. I have him first overall at a, a decently comfortable margin. Yeah, I mean, I think we're going to see him being used as a role man more as well. Like, he has a pick-and-pop game. I, I buy the shooting. I think he's going to shoot it. Um, obviously, not to the level of someone like Jabari, but for his position as a foreman, I think he's going to shoot it um, off the bounce and off the catch. So you can pick and you can use him as a pick-and-pop guy. We know he's comfortable as a handler getting downhill as, like, a short roller, and I like him. I think he can be a lob threat as well. Like, there are just so many ways to use this skill set, and I feel like we're just seeing it a lot in – standstill isos off the bounce which is like the last place i would employ him in the nba um it's not that he can't do it it's just like there are so many other more creative ways to use this physically imposing foreman with modern skills and crazy touch and i just think we're like seeing the baseline of it right now just because duke isn't all that creative in using him and like yeah sure it's college basketball like we see this all the time 
but I do think like ever I've I don't want to get too carried away with like oh he's not a primary like it's okay I don't care he can be my secondary guy and I can have a point guard and I can have a sh- or a wing creator and I can play through the post he can be a a screener like that's still a very valuable player um I think people are like gonna have to put some aesthetic biases aside for this class because you don't have your Cade Cunningham you don't have your LaMelo ball you don't have a quote-unquote primary ball handler to like go all out for at the top and I just think people are gonna have to get a little bit more creative in how they view these top options being used whether that be Chet whether that be Jabari or Paula, um, it's all very different. You're not going to just give them the ball and let them ISO or call a high sc- high ball screen. Like you're going to have to get creative, but there are ways to do it. Um, and I think, I mean, for me, uh, Paula has been very encouraging on the offensive end. Do you think he's the closest thing we have in this class to that top option kind of ISO guy? I mean, sure. Yeah, I do think out of all the prospects, I think he has the best chance to like become the guy you run your offense through. Um, but I, I don't, even if he doesn't fit that expectation or you don't, he doesn't completely fulfill that mold. I still think he can be very, very useful. Like that's why I, I kind of prefer Paulo uh, to Jabari, who I assume we can keep talking, keep referencing, but haven't fully talked about yet. Um, the reason I prefer him is because I feel like there's a wide avenue of outcomes in which Paulo can become like a very good uh, yeah. NBA player. I think Jabari, he has the one skill, which is absolutely incredible and otherworldly. But if that doesn't work or if that doesn't fully translate to the level that it's playing at right now, what are we left with? Versus Paulo, he can be a post scorer. He can handle it a little bit. He can attack closeouts. He can be a screener. He can ISO and operate from the mid post. Like there are so many ways for him to make an impact. And that's kind of what I'm hanging my hat on right now. Yeah, I, I fully uh, agree with with that assessment right there. And again, in a, a weaker draft class, I think we're trying to find the appropriate balance between high floor, which to me is like you said, because you can be useful in a lot of different ways, and high ceiling. Where you know you look at everybody else in this class, I think Ben Caro has the best chance to be a number one option in the NBA. So you combine those two factors. To me, it's going to take a lot to unseat him from that top overall spot. But Chet Holmgren is the closest guy there in your board. He also number two for me. Uh, I, I think I'm, I would have Chet a little closer to Jabari than I would to Paolo at this point in time. But tell me a little bit about what you see with Holmgren. Cause to me, he's, he's difficult to project offensively. The love is, is fully based on how dominant of a defender he is and can be but I'm, I'm still a little bit short on exactly what to do with them offensively. So where are you at with Chet? I mean, I think offensively, like he can be deployed in not the similar to Paulo because like, I don't want to post up Chet. Like we can just get the cat out of the bag. Like I'm just yeah. not going to do it, but he, I trust him as a shooter. Like I've seen him take and make pull-ups. He's getting much more aggressive in taking contested pick and pops with smaller windows and he can put the ball on the floor. Um, like, I don't want to just say, like, he's just going to be a lob catcher and shoot catch and shoot threes because that'd be a disservice. He can put the ball on the floor. Yes, he does get hindered by the frame. And once he faces contact, it's easy for him to get bumped off of his spot. And we see that. But he's a capable passer. Um, I think Paulo is a better passer. But Chet is still capable. And he's seven feet, seven feet tall and is going to be a legit shooter. So, yeah, I'm not going to, like, he's probably not going to be my first or second option on offense. But... Based on what he brings on defense, if he can be 
that lob threat in pick and roll and he can space the floor and attack closeouts, which I think he can do. Like I do buy him attacking closeouts and the finishing touch around the basket is pretty insane. Um, a lot of people get to want to get hung up on the size and yes, like the size is an issue there and he can get pushed around a little bit, but he's lengthy as hell and he has great touch and he's been an incredible finisher at the rim because of it. And like, if you check his rim numbers, it's not just all dunks. Like there are a lot of tough finishes and post hooks and extension finishes around and through defenders. Like it's not just catch and shoot dunks. Or, I mean, catch and dunk. Um, and I just think he has a little bit more skill. Like it's the Chet thing is weird because when we when he was coming up through high school, it's like, oh, this is this unicorn big man who's going to like ISO and get everything off the bounce. And now it's like, oh, he can't do anything off the bounce. And it's like, oh, actually, we're somewhere in the middle of this. Yeah. And like, I trust him to attack closeouts. I think he's a crafty finisher and he's not f- afraid of contact. Like he's going to get bumped around, but he'll get free throws. Um, And he plays very physical. He's not afraid to back down from anyone. Um, So I think the offense, I get it. Um, it's you're probably looking at more of a third option or maybe fourth, depending upon how you weigh lob gravity. But I still think he can be very useful there. Yeah, I, I'm my favorite thing about Chet is his competitiveness. It's not even the defensive impact. It's that he's not afraid of contact. He's aware of his frame. He he still embraces physicality. He's he wants every damn loose ball. Like he he's don't be fooled by the stoic face that he has on a lot of times that that is a kid who wants to win and do anything possible to win. I I actually think that he's a better or higher field prospect offensively than a guy like Paolo. I love how he handles and transition some of the decisions that he makes and how he's able to get to the rim. My worry is the quickness of his first step. I think it's long and effective. And when he gets past somebody, he's going to convert at the basket but I also worry about him really being able to create separation because as we've seen right now, and it's, it's low hanging fruit with kind of the physical comp in, in recent years, but Evan Mobley, a guy going in the NBA right now and playing early in his career, more as a four than a five because he's slender, because he knows that, you know, the, the Cavs know he's not going to be able to hold up physically at the five throughout the entire season. And it's worked because Mobley is such a high processor, high field type of guy, and the Cavs find ways to rotate him inside and out. I think Chet would thrive in a similar role, but I think that Mobley has a much faster first step. Chet is just as long, but I also worry about him creating that separation more so when he's guarded by a four. So early in his career, until he ends up being that full-time five, if that is indeed the role the team that drafts him plays him in, I'm not sure how he gets pressure on the rim in the half court. And, and that's more so from a perimeter and a, and a face-up standpoint. I'm with you. I, I decently buy the shot. Uh, he had a, a nice shot off of the shake action, raising out of the corner last night against Pepperdine. Like it, it's, you can see his confidence growing in a lot of those ways. And I think that he's a very you know, high feel, high processing, do it all type of guy where you can find ways to be super creative with him. But I'm just I'm I'm not sure I see him as a fulcrum of creation in the half court because I don't know how much one on one he's going to be able to get to the basket without having an advantage created for him. Yeah, and I would agree with you. Um, like, I think that's fair. I just I'm probably not going to get too hung up on it because that's not really why you're drafting him anyways. Um, mm-hmm. You're drafting him for the to be an act 
like a defensive monster and then space the floor, catch lobs and attack closeouts. So like, I, I do agree with you. I'm um, just from a pure evaluation standpoint, it's just probably something I'm putting not that like a little bit less weight into um, because it's kind of he- neither here nor there for me. Like you, you kind of know what you're getting. If he is a four, um, he's going to shoot, th- he's going to shoot threes, catch lobs and attack closeouts. Like I'm not really trusting him to ISO. I don't want him to ISO. I don't need him to ISO. So it, it's kind of just do your job and, excel where you can i'm much more impressed with his athleticism defensively like how many times he's closed out on a guy gotten beaten by a half step off the bounce and then recovers to block or alter the shot like he's he's fantastic guarding the perimeter defensively to a point where i I don't have any worries in that way and again it's it's he's still number two on my board like none of these concerns offensively are enough to kind of deter me from thinking that he can be a, a franchise game changer in some form it's just tempering expectations of, you know, he's probably not going to average more than 15 points a game in the NBA, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not. Um, but to me, I, I still think he can do that and return top two value. Yep. In this class in particular, that's, that's top two value. Um, we've, we've alluded to Jabari quite a bit. So why not just go there? Uh, I think you mentioned he's great at one thing. And a lot of times that can scare you for a, a prospect you hang your hat on. I've probably written four articles on Jabari in the last month and a half. So I'm kind of tired of, of talking about him or diving in far too much, or people are at least sick of hearing me continue to do it. So why don't you give the quick sales pitch for Jabari or why he's at that three, four spot for you? I'm an incredible shooter. Absolutely. Like full stop, no way around it. Um, incredible shooter at six ten, off the catch, off the bounce, rising up over the defense. It doesn't matter. Um, I love his mechanics flows like has a high set point goes right into it. Um, no wasted motion, always ready. Shot prep is awesome. Like everything about the shooting, like, we don't even have to waste time on it. Like that is the calling card and it might be good enough to overcome everything else and like patch up all the other warts. It might be. Um, I just do have concerns about, you know, the passing in the half court. I think to me, he's the worst passer of the three uh, Jabari. I mean, Jabari, Chet, and Paolo, he's the worst of, of passing to me, um, which is interesting because, like, he's going to be on the ball the most in the half court. Um, and I just – the big thing I struggle with is, like, he doesn't create easy looks, whether that be in the mid-range when he's getting a jumper or to the rim. Uh, the finishing concerns are well-documented. He's not a very good vertical athlete and can struggle to elevate in the half court. But even on jumpers, um, he makes them. And it's so, again, I said, like, it might be good enough to overcome everything. But even on these mid-range jumpers, it's not like he's creating any space on step backs. He's kind of just rising up. And, again, it might be okay. But he's probably the toughest eval for me in the class right now because everything is sort of pointing towards, oh, this is going to be an issue in the NBA. But he has the most valuable skill of them all, which is – pull-up shooting and your contests don't matter to me so I'm just kind of taking a little bit of time to kind of parse him out I'm probably going to write like a big piece on him towards the end of the year once we have all the film because like it's just so hard to keep up with but yeah I'm concerned with the passing the handling and like the finishing in the half court but like it the shooting at 610 could he be your secondary option as just a tough shot maker in the half court as a big wing or a smaller four absolutely I mean, if Kristaps Porzingis can be the second option on an NBA playoff team, then pairing him with the right first option, he can definitely be that. Um, 
where would you take him in last year's draft if this version of Jabari Smith came out in twenty? Oh, I actually, or you I actually did this with someone yesterday. Okay. Um, so I'll, I'll set the stage a little bit. Again, we talked about the top three that you have being the top three with uh, Cunningham, Green, and Mobley. From there, it was Scotty Born, Scotty Barnes, four, Jalen Suggs. I was five. lower on Scotty. Okay. I was much lower on Scotty. Um, and I was super high on Scotty. So th- th- that was four, five. And then Giddy, six, yeah. Kaminga, seven, Franz Wagner, eight. So I had, okay. I did, this is perfect. I sent this text to someone last night. Um, so Cade and Mo, these are combining the two classes with not making any changes to my 2020, uh, 2021 board. Okay. So Cade Mobley, one and two, Jalen Green, number three, Paulo Chet, four, five, Suggs at six, um, Jabari at seven, Ivy at eight, Sharif Cooper at nine, Franz Wagner at 10, uh, Giddy at 11, Moses Moody at 12, Johnny Davis at 13, Trey Mann at 14. So that would be my top. What? Very guard heavy there. Yeah, I like the guards last year. Um, <laughs> not going to deny that one. Okay. No, that's it's interesting for me. I I, uh, I tend to think I, I was pretty high on Jonathan Kaminga. I, I, I liked him. I liked the athleticism. I saw a lot of defensive potential there and, and believe that eventually they'll be able to craft his game into an efficient one offensively. I think Jabari is very neck and neck with where I had that eval last year. Like, I, again, I, I said it earlier for me, Cade, Jalen, both Jalen, Suggs and Green, Mobley and Barnes, which was my top five last year, I would have above Paolo in this class. I think that those are those are five guys that I would take number one this year. I think Paolo and Chet are right afterwards. And then I had Kaminga at six. And that's where I'm kind of struggling right now to slot Kaminga versus Jabari. Do I value the more athletic potential and kind of longer term upside that I believe Kaminga has or the elite one skill at his size for a guy like Jabari? I think part of me is probably leaning Jabari just because I have such a, a tendency to love and value shooting. But to me, that's that's neck and neck where I'm at right now. Yeah. And I, I will say at this point in the process, Jabari is the toughest eva- evaluation for me because like I know the skills. I know what he can and can't do it's you sort of see it on every single game you watch and I just don't know how to value it um and I'm not sure if I will get what we have six months until draft I don't know if I ever will um it's just incredibly tough when you have all these glaring issues but then the most useful solution of them all to just cover up for everything um it's going to be super interesting I'm very intrigued to see like how he progresses in the NBA over the past, over the first couple of years, what it looks like, what the shot windows look like, what his creation opportunities look like. Um, it's all going to be fascinating to me, but a ton of fun as a prospect. Um, we could talk about the defense as well. Like he's, re- I love his activity on the ball. Um, I think the lot of quickness might get like a little bit overblown. Um, I think it's super good for position, but, and I think you'll see like, Oh, he can guard one through whatever. Like to me, that doesn't even matter. Um, I'm, why would I switch Jabari onto a point guard if I don't have to? I'd rather just show and recover. Like the whole idea of switching is kind of lazy to me unless it's like the end of shot clock and you want to just minimize defensive miscommunications. But like I'd rather Jabari show and get back rather than just switching onto a point guard. But in terms of staying with wings, which I think is going to be the most important thing if you want to go with like a bigger lineup and really leverage his shooting and what he's 6'10", you could, I think you can play him at the three if you have like in spurts if you have guards that are if you have two guards that can really handle it and get paint touches 
And so the like his I'm comfortable saying he can stay with like a six seven wing, um, which is much more important to me than he the clips of him like switching on to point guards and like giving them fits. Yeah, it's awesome, and like it comes from the same tree. But his ability to slide and kind of take some bigger bumps with guys despite not being the strongest prospect, um, those are probably the biggest takeaways I get on the defensive end. Yeah, I think there's more positional versatility at that 3-4 spot defensively than we might give it credit for. Uh, we pigeonhole yeah. him a little bit more as a 4 offensively, but I think, like you said, he can do a little bit of both. I always go back to the exercise in my head of looking at the two teams that played in the NBA Finals and saying, could Jabari guard both guys who played the 3 and the 4 for either team? Like, I think he's fine guarding Jay Crowder or Mikhail Bridges. I think he's fine in spurts guarding Chris Middleton or Giannis. Like, obviously, he's not as as good of a defender one-on-one -on -one to be able to, to hinder either of those guys. But I don't think there's a, a blatant mismatch that occurs if you ask him to do either in comparison to somebody else on your team. Um, you mentioned Jabari is one of the tougher evals for you. I actually find the next guy that you mentioned there, who we both have in our top four at, at the current point in time, to be a tougher eval for me, and that's Jaden Ivey. So some of that comes down to the shooting. A lot of it comes down to the mid-range shooting. I think when I'm looking at a potential lead guard and somebody who's going to play with the ball in their hands in the half court. I want to trust them to create their own quality shot in the final five or six seconds of a shot clock. And right now he has very uh, set jumper mechanics from three on his catch and shoot and needs plenty of time to load up off the bounce. Like he, he's gotten to the point where his touch is good when teams go underneath ball screens and they'll probably continue to do so because he's such a quick athlete that he can make that shot but one-on-one -on -one creating separation for his own in the mid-range, I'm not sure how I see it. And, and to me, that's where the John Morant type of comparison comes in of somebody who's so athletic and competitive and just able to get pressure on the rim no matter what, that you probably roll the dice and take him and say, even if he doesn't end up shooting 38% on his isolation attempts in the mid-range, he's still going to be able to create enough positive offense. Is, is any of that resonating with you? Like, where are you at with Ivy offensively? So he's a tough one for me, but I'm actually kind of like on the opposite end of the spectrum. Um, I view him as a combo and like someone I'm actually going to want to start off the ball. Um, I trust the shot, especially off the catch. He's shown like, yes, it's slower and yes, it's more set, but he's shown a ton of versatility coming off movement screens, getting his feet set quickly, getting them under him and rising straight up. Um, so while it is more of a set jumper without a ton of elevation, like he's shown, like it's not just standstill catch and shoot jumpers. Um, he's been running off ball screens all year and off ball screens all year and doing well on them. So I like the part that I haven't quite grasped with him and like the part where I've just go watch John Moran in college and look at how well he uses his tools like he'll put dudes in jail he'll change pace he's exploding at the right times ivy has no idea how to use his speed right now and like it still works sometimes and to me that's the low-hanging fruit it's like this guy has no idea how to really use his most valuable asset and like it still works at times there are a lot of times where it doesn't um and the possessions where it be in transition or in the half court where he's just going in a straight line with no clear plan and flips up a contested floater or gets walled off and turns the ball over those possessions are definitely a little bit too frequent for me but i feel like you just kind of have to take them all with a grain of salt because you're drafting him with the assumption that he is raw especially as an on-ball creator very raw um and is going to need the right amount of reps but in the right context to refine that and you know, there are some flashes of him coming off the ball screen 
and then giving a hezzy at the top and then exploding downhill, which are awesome. And like, I just love to see him leverage more of that, a more change of pace. I trust his handle. Like he can handle the ball. Um, it's just about utilizing it. And I think like you look at him and someone like Johnny Davis, they're complete opposites as drivers. Like Johnny doesn't have that many pure physical tools. Like he doesn't have, he is like a decent first step. Definitely doesn't have Ivy's acceleration, but Johnny's setups and knowing where to attack, where they're rejecting ball screens, luring out defenders, all the little nuances that give him the like maximum advantage possible. And then he capitalizes on it. That's what Johnny does. And Ivy is just like, I'm going to beat you off a standstill because I'm quicker and faster than you. Yeah. And there's no plan to it whatsoever. And like, it still works sometimes, but I do think like, you are going to have to kind of slowly bring Ivy along. Um, I trust the off-ball stuff. I think he can shoot. I think he's a very good cutter. Um, I trust him attacking like attacking closeouts, like that first step, attacking closeouts when the guy's already running at him and they're already leveraged and he doesn't have to like process, how do I beat this guy? It's just go. Um, the passing is a little bit interesting for me. It's fine. It's, I'm not I'm not blown away yet, and there are some reads that I'd like to see him learn how to make throughout the year. But again, I'm viewing him as an off guard. Like he's six four, um, it's good enough size to go off the ball, and I think he'll be enough of a creator where you can like play him as a combo. But I'm he's not someone I'm throwing into the fire right away. Yeah, with Ivy, a blur in transition when he has a head of steam or he sees an opening he goes and he gets the rim pretty much every time. Now, I, I agree with you. He needs to be taught a little bit more how to create those openings for himself out of the pick and roll, you know, when he has a slight advantage. But um, the, the off-ball stuff is interesting because I think you draft him because of his athletic potential with the idea of it, of the off-ball shooting and how he can – be used off screens, really complementing what he does out of the pick and roll nicely and not letting the offense become super stagnant. If the pick and roll stuff doesn't develop, I don't like the off ball play enough to really say, yeah, this guy's a, a top five pick or somebody that I would certainly anchor in my starting rotation moving forward. Athletically, no doubt. He's, he's a no doubter in that regard but he's got to find ways to refine it a little bit more with the ball in his hands. I think, again, I said this on the last podcast that I was on, I'm very jaded by conversations that I had with Fran Fraschilla over last summer, who's, you know, by far one a smarter basketball mind than you and I combined. He's just, he's been through it all and knows everything about everything. And he said he thought the easiest thing to teach at the NBA level was pick and roll offense and, and space and advantage creation. So if I'm going off of that, yes, I have my concerns based on what I've seen at Purdue. I also don't love Matt Painter's offense in terms of creating pick and roll off, you know, options for the next level. I don't think he's been taught that at Purdue because it's not something they do. They run true motion. They run a ton of screening action, try to score in the final 10 seconds of a shot clock, play through their big men in post-ups quite frequently. I think there's so much room for him to pop once he learns that, that to me, Yes, right now, the skill package is a little bit more reminiscent of a combo, but three years from now, he better be a point guard. Yeah, and I mean, I think you can. we can kind of – that would be the high-end outcome. Obviously, that's the, that's the high-end outcome. I'm just saying in terms of developmentally, I don't think I'm comfortable. Um, we hear it all the time. Just 
let him get the live reps. I don't know if I want him just going and getting live reps. Um, I think there needs to be a like not a box that he's put in because that's like has the complete wrong connotation, but like there needs to be certain ground rules for like how we're going to do this um, once he gets to the league. And I, that would be my main thing. I, the ceiling and what he actually has, like no one else, the gap between four and five is drastic um, to me, at least like Ivy. We're just speaking on all the things he doesn't have, but like what he does have, like he is, I, he is a shooter. Um, I really do believe that. He is a ridiculous athlete once he gets in the half court and in transition and the speed in half court as well. And like, as I said, he has counters. He is a handler. Um, if he, when he does show that pick and roll craft, he's virtually unstoppable um, at the college level. So there, I mean, I would like to see him add the floater. And as you said, I do have a little bit of concern about like a mid range pull up and like stopping on a dime, but these were also concerns we had about Tyrese Halliburton at one that I had, um, off the I had shooting. and he is making us all look very stupid. And I'm not saying one guy did it. So the other guy's going to do it, but I'm just saying like, that was previously something I was like, Oh, that's one tough skills to develop. Um, write that one off and like it's year two and he's doing what he's doing so like I think all of this these are all achievable things for Ivy it's just like we're gonna need to check one box at a time but in terms of the foundation that you're coming in with and the skill set and tools that you have to work with no one else comes close to him after four well I think that's the right transition here into the rest of the the top 10 for us so you and I can't be more aligned with one through four same guys, same order, same kind of tiering of who should be farthest away from each different guy. Then we get to our five through 10 and the next six guys. And we have three that are in both of our top tens. So I thought it probably best to go through those three first. And then from there, let's try to swap things around and talk about our cases for the guys that may be on one, but isn't on the other. So we'll start with Johnny Davis, just because we've mentioned him a decent amount. I think he's number five on your board currently. He's six for me, comes a lot after the, the recent outburst where he quite frankly outplayed Jaden Ivy and just has incredible shot making competitiveness. Where are you at with Davis? How far has he risen for you? And can he keep climbing? Um, I don't know if he can keep climbing, <laughs> um, but he's been awesome. As a Wisconsin student, um, it's been a ton of fun to watch him throughout the year. Um, he was someone I was higher on coming into the year, but by higher on, I mean like first round prospect, not this at all. Um, I will not pretend to have seen this coming. In fact, when all my friends were talking, they would they were like, yeah, Johnny Davis has to be top 10, has to be top 10. I was like, no, nah, you're crazy. You're crazy. And here we are today. Um, so he's just been awesome, man. Like the shot making is off the charts and it's every single game, basically. Like at some point you have to take it for what it is. And since high school, AAU, he's been a tough shot maker. Um, the dribble craft and setup on his drives is incredible. Um, I did wish he beat guys cleaner at the point of attack at times and look no prospect is perfect but he's a secondary to me like he's not someone I'm running my offense through and for a secondary the biggest area of concern like we're not going to see Giant Davis beating guys off the dribble straight up um throughout in the year we're just not going to see it but a a big area of concern or area of improvement I should say for him like I want to see the three-point volume get up uh he's still a little bit passive on catch and shoot threes and as someone who I want off the ball not everything has to be a pump into a one or two drill pull-up take the catch and shoot three. Um, And I think there have been some encouraging possessions in the recent games, but that's something I'm definitely monitoring moving forward. 
Um, but yeah, he's super technical, super crafty, super skilled. The passing has really come on throughout the year. Um, yeah. He's really good defensively, super active in passing lanes, has a good frame and can body up uh, bigger guards. And he's just a really complete player and a really good prospect. Um, despite the class, like I am pretty high on him in general. Um, I think he is a really good skill set and one that's super valuable if it can translate properly. And I'll echo your concerns at the point of attack. Like I had him probably second round coming into the season. Then I bumped him into the mid twenties right after Thanksgiving or early December and just said it, the shot making is awesome, but he has to rely on it. Like he's so good at making those tough step backs in the mid range or going between the legs into a quick pull up and, and having all these counters in his back, but he has to rely on them because he, one-on-one doesn't put a ton of pressure on the rim at some point the consistency of the shot making like you said the fact that he does it every single game can outweigh some of those concerns I think that he makes himself more NBA ready by being a good high volume catch and shoot guy but I think it's projectable enough to say that he's going to become that in the NBA if that's his role then I'm not necessarily worried about what shots he takes like he's as we saw in the Purdue game last week He's going to have to do a little bit of everything if Wisconsin's going to stay a top 25 team in the country. He's got to run that offense. So I think that the, the there isn't an apples to apples comparison in terms of the shot selection he has in Madison versus the shot selection he'll have in the NBA. But definitely a riser and a guy that, you know, I now have in my top 10 and not necessarily committing to him staying there throughout the season because there's, as, as I keep banging my hands on the table and, and continually saying, there is a big difference between athleticism in the open floor and one-on-one in the half court. It's just, it's so different functionally. He's a good athlete when he has a runway, but A, can he create a runway for himself? And B, if he can't, is he still impressive and, and able to put a, a good impact on the game offensively? I'm leaning towards no for the first question, but yes for the second, that he still is going to be a positive contributor. Yeah, so. I would agree with you. Um, I don't think we're going to see any drastic athletic improvements, but I think he's always been someone who knows how to work with what he's got, and I think that's very evident so far. All right. So another guy on on both of our top tens, Patrick Baldwin Jr. This is one of those I'm clinging on for dear life type. Of <laughs> I don't know if if uh, if anyone else is feeling the same. Like I keep looking for excuses to maybe slide him down the board but I don't have a as many guys to bring him to to essentially launch over the top of Baldwin right now. Like every time I try to drop him, you think, okay, who's going to rise into the top 10. I don't know who that is. Um, And the other part of it is, and I just wrote a piece on this that came out this weekend on the USA basketball and the, the U19 world games that a lot of players who they get played out of position in comparison to their college team. When they go there, I think the opposite is the case of Baldwin, where his natural role was in a catch-and-shoot way. And he was able to, to show that with the USA team. He's being asked to do way too much. He has a horrible backcourt in Milwaukee that just can't create a clean look for him. And then when he has to try to do it himself, that's just not his game. Slow-footed, can't create space one-on-one. You know, He's able to mismatch post and hit some turnaround jumpers there, but that's probably not his optimal role either. Like he, he needs to be valued as just a catch and shoot guy. And while the numbers aren't great, uh, I see enough there with his size, with the, the form and just how the, the highlights of his shot making have looked in the past to still believe that in this class, 
he's probably a top 10 guy. Does that sound about right for you? Yeah. I mean, if there was anyone else to move up, then I'd feel <laughs> a little bit um, uneasy about keeping him around, but I look, I look around the class and I'm not really infatuated by anyone. And then you just come back to the 6'10 nuclear shooter who is high feel. And like how many times, like how many guys in this class are you going to state have a better case than him right now? Um, obviously, he didn't look good at Milwaukee, but who would have looked good at Milwaukee? I mean, that team was absolutely horrific. Um, and in terms of what you want for Patrick Baldwin, I think it might have been good for a developmental context in some ways, but in terms of making him look good for NBA scouts, you couldn't think of a worse possible scenario. Yeah. And, and that's, to me, and, and I guess that we'll segue into the other guy that's on both of our top tens right now and Jalen Durant. Mm-hmm. Both of them are in less than optimal situations in their college team. And for me, it's a lot easier to make an excuse for why they're not producing at the level expected because of those surrounding factors. Like Baldwin does not have a guard that can get him the ball in a specific way. We thought that the size and, and kind of athleticism factor might lead him to dominate the Horizon League. Well, he's not quick enough to dominate, and he's guarded by smaller guys who are able to crowd him and, and get underneath his dribble anyway. So anything he does trying to put the ball on the floor, it's A, not great for him, and B, not realistic to how he'll be played in the NBA. The other thing with Duran, you know, he doesn't have a great point guard that can create out of the pick mm-hmm. and roll and throw him lobs. His best NBA role to me is as a pick and roll you know, role man who just catches lobs, sets solid screens, and can probably eventually make a good decision or two out of the short roll. But he's either posted up or standing on the baseline in the dunker spot, just ready to catch and finish. So we don't see how his game really is going to pop when he's put next to an, an NBA level point guard. I was lower on Duran to start. I'm moving him up my boards, but give us a sales pitch. Like, wh- wh- why is it that you have him as a top 10 guy? I mean, absolutely. It, it largely has to do with everyone else. I mean, Duran is someone I kind of want to be a little bit lower on. Like I haven't, like there have been some games that are just glaring low field to me um, on the short roll. I need to circle back to the film because people I've talked to said he's looked better there as of late. So Memphis is definitely on my watch list to kind of get back to, but the defense is awesome with him. Um, I really do like his defense. He's agile. He can get to the level. He's good in drop. He's an incredible vertical athlete. Um, he can high point to the rim and contest. I'm not worried about the size um, for defensively. I think he can be a five. Um, he's absolutely chiseled. He's a very good athlete. The defense is very good to me. Um, the offense is kind of where I have concerns. But some of those concerns might, as you mentioned, be mitigated if he had someone throwing him lobs and he was good for two to three pick and roll dunks a game. That would make everything look a little bit sweeter. But the post-up offense is not impressive to me. Um, I think he gets walled off a little bit. The size hinders him there. Um, a lot of the jumpers are contested. The reads are uh, blurred. And just, I'm, I'm not posting him up. Um, I just don't really feel comfortable with it. The jumper is a little bit wonky to me. I don't love the mechanics. It's very rigid. It's flat. Um, I, I'm not fully there with the jumper. But again, if he can kind of make, like he was a good passer at Montverde. Um, that was one of the things I really liked about him coming in. So if he can kind of let the game slow down, make some more impressive reads out of the post and the short roll, um, then I'd feel better coming back around. But again, you look about relative to the rest of the class, if you can get a 6'10", hyper-athletic, big, who can play the five, catch lobs, play multiple coverages, um, that's probably going to be a pretty good pick in the top 10. 
Yeah, I'm I'm out on the shooting. I just I've mm-hmm. scouted it in, in AAU settings. I didn't really buy it that it was there. I thought that he forced a lot of jump shots and was trying to prove that he could do it when he really couldn't. That mm-hmm. that turned me off in a lot of ways. I think as you're talking about with feel and decision making, but a, a special defensive prospect in a lot of ways. I think he can be a good rim protector, and he's somewhat switchable. He's been decently successful in the late stages of a shot clock when he switches on the ball. So. Um, like you, both of those guys are in my top 10. I wish there was somebody else that could continue to rise where I would feel more comfortable about who was in my top 10, but those are the three overlaps. And we each have three other names that are in here. Now, I don't think that two of mine deserve a ton of talk here because they're right outside of your top 10, right? Ty Ty Washington, Benedict Matherin, uh, Washington, just coming off of a a 17 and 17 game for Kentucky, 17 dimes, only two turnovers while running the show when severe Wheeler was out. I think that that shows the upside for him and Matherin, just a, a really, really steady three point shooter. Who's developing more off the move, showing that he has more athleticism and creation off the bounce than he did as a freshman and is just a riser as a second year player in college, because he's added some small elements to his game. And this class is far weaker than it was last year when he was probably right around the 20 to 25 range. The, the one guy I, I do want to talk about who's on, on my list before we dive into the end of, of your top 10 is my guy, Jalen Hardy. This is, uh, this is a controversial one, but I, man, do I see the shot making upside and think that this screams alpha. Like if, if Paolo Bancaro is the, the guy that we trust most to be a top option in the NBA, Hardy is the only other guy that kind of deserves consideration in my book. And in this weaker of a draft class with somebody who can be a good catch and shoot threat, has that deep range ability, and I think is a little bit underrated in his pick and roll passing and playmaking, I would take him five. I would take him right outside that ledge of top prospects because I'm okay with a boomer bust guy kind of in this class because I just don't have that confidence in anybody else underneath him. Talk me out of that, right? Like what, what are your reservations with Hardy and and what is it that everyone else is seeing that I'm missing? No, I mean, well, one, I think there are a lot of people that are still remaining pretty high on him. Um, So I definitely don't think you're alone there. And I can't dispute the thought process of if you identify a guy with upside, you're going to go grab him. Um, Like that's, I don't disagree with the thought process. I'm just not personally there with him and seeing the upside. Um, to me, he's a combo. I don't see him as a lead guard. Um, right. I think he's a very overrated athlete. Um, I've been very impressed with his ability to win with, I've been clipping him, like his change of pace and has ease and, and the ways to leverage his handle have been awesome. Um, and that's something I didn't see in the start of the year. So that shows that he's learning, um, picking up new ways to beat G League defenders, expanding the arsenal, all good things to see. Um, I'm a little bit concerned with the shooting, to be honest. Like his, the lower body is very inconsistent. The legs will flare out um, on basically every jump jump shot. Um, I tweeted a couple days back. There's like a huge sample of him pre pre G League, um, where he's shooting. I think he's shooting like 37, percent which is good, um, definitely good, but like not otherworldly incredible. Um, there are a lot of other prospects that are shooting in and above that range so while yes definitely a good pre-college shooter um, I'm not sure if he was good enough to just excuse kind of the slump that he's in in the G League right now and I mean he just doesn't create a ton of space Um, 
He has like a patented sidestep, step back-ish, which he can get to and is comfortable with. But other than that, he's not really winning easy. Um, and that's what I want to see from my lead guards is winning easy. And he doesn't really do that. Um, the passing is fine to me. I think it's from most functional on drop-offs and stuff around the rim when he's driving. Um, I like how he's getting to the rim. I don't love how he's finishing there. I yeah. think he's not a very good vertical athlete at all. Um, and he kind of gets swallowed up by contests. The windows close pretty quickly. So I just think like while the process and driving game has improved, I just think he's kind of like good at some of at like all areas across, like decent to good uh, all areas across the board. But I just don't see where he like totally excels. Like I don't see him being a real efficient scorer if the shooting doesn't fully come around. Because I don't really love that he's gonna. I don't think he's gonna finish at the rim that well. And I think you're seeing that in his percentages this year. Like the shot isn't falling, and he's getting bottled at the rim. So he's inefficient as a scorer. And so while the creation stuff can be enticing to me, if he's not efficient as a scorer, the whole thing kind of falls apart to me because the passing is predicated on the scoring. So without one, you kind of lose the other one a little bit. And while he's been decent defensively in some instances, like I've actually been impressed by some of his team defense at, at times, he's not really a plus plus defender. Like he's not Johnny um, as a guard defender. He's not someone else. Like I think Ivy's better um, at the, especially at the point of attack. Um, so I just think there are other options to go and I, I can't, I can't dispute the thought process. I wish I had some guy, guy in this class where I really bought their upside like that. Um, I'm just not there with Hardy personally yet. That's, that's fair. Well, I think one guy who you seem to buy the upside of maybe a little bit more than I do in that regard is AJ Griffin, somebody yeah. who wound up in your top 10. So what's, what's the case here for Griffin? Uh, it's shot making off the bounce and learning how to play in a role that's conducive to the NBA. Um, AJ in priors has been a pr like a primary, like one, a one B um, him and RJ played your turn, my, my turn at Sepanak, And that yielded some interesting basketball results. Now playing at Duke. Um, I think he's kind of unintentionally been forced into this off ball role and he's excelled. Um, good, really good as a cutter. He's quick attacking closeouts. His process is still just really not there. Like he had one play that just, I was kind of laughing out loud at when pump fake and just like had a real easy rip drive middle like attack the top foot rip and get downhill and he like fakes the jab inside rips back out towards the baseline and takes a contested step back mid-range and can said obviously um and i'm just like there is so much room for improvement here like yeah you're a tough shot maker but like dude just rip middle and get to the fucking rim um like sorry for cursing but <laughs> um so i just think there's a lot that could be improved on with his process but i do like that that isn't being like everyone just being the guy isn't for everyone. And I think this is very clear with AJ. Like if AJ went to a different school and was given the ball, he would just be ISOing for eight to 10 seconds and not improving his reads and not getting, and not like making any decisions that are conducive to being an, being an NBA player. Now at Duke, again, I'm not sure it's intentional, but because of the guys that they have, he's being forced into attacking DHOs quicker, quickly, quickly cutting off, <laughs> cutting from the corner. I'm um, just playing off other guys and knowing how to make an impact when you're not the number one option, which is like exactly what he's going to be in the NBA. He is not number one option. He doesn't create space well enough. He's not good enough as a passer. And as I've said, probably four times, the process isn't there. But if we can get this two-way wing who is bought in on the defensive end is a above average athlete, can make tough shots, can create some of his own stuff off the bounce 
and is now learning how to play off others and is only a freshman, that's someone of the upside I'm willing to buy. And the upside isn't you're going to be this primary wing. It's that this like this guy could be a starter and like a plus starter um, who could offer some creation and relief in late shot clock situations, could maybe run a second side action eventually, can body up um, wings on defense and play good help side and just kind of do a little bit of everything on offense. Um, but like that's the kind of upside I'm getting behind in this class because I'm just a little bit more underwhelmed with the guard creators. Yeah, I, I think the the guard creation is certainly not there. I know I have have Hardy uh, number five for me, and then out, after that, it's just a whole glut of kind of wings and forwards and athletes yeah. and guys that you just kind of want to roll the dice on. In that regard, I, the thing I struggle with most, not just with Griffin, but with <clears throat> prospects that this applies to in general, is how to evaluate injury history. Yeah. You know, how much does the fact that he's been consistently hurt over the last couple of years really fluctuate in terms of where he's going to be drafted or where I would feel comfortable taking him. I don't know how to answer that question. I don't know if I'll ever find a way to answer that question because it's, it's so much of a case by case basis, but man, um, I, I think that over the last couple of weeks, we've started to see the upside with Griffin to the point where he's reclaiming his spot as one of the better players in this class that coming out of high school or, or maybe his junior year in high school, he was really believed to have. So Jake, two more guys in your top 10, or at least in that tier afterwards, I know it's more of a closer glut of guys. Yeah. Nine, 10 and below, like pick a couple that you want to talk about here before we get um, I mean, I'll just give you the group. Um, I really could not, I, I couldn't give you a nine and 10 if you put a gun to my head. I just have no way in ordering these guys right now, but I am, and I do kind of have a group of guys that would round out my lottery. Um, so I have both the Baylor guys in there, Kendall Brown and Jeremy Sohan. I have Marjan Bochamp from Ignite. Um, I think he's the best prospect on Ignite to me. Um, and then I have Matherin. Uh, this, his production and shooting has been undeniable. And I love the off-ball production that he's had. We kind of hint at him a little bit. Um, I have Agbaji in there as well until the regression really hits. Um, he's been super impressive. I, I love, I mean, he's so sound on defense. The shooting has been awesome. Like him attacking closeouts and spurts. Um, just, he's been really, really good and productive. Um, so I have those guys. And then I have Tari Eason at, at LSU. Um, someone I'm still trying to figure out a little bit. And I think it's a little bit wonky based on how he's used. Um, a lot of standstill ISOs, and I love his downhill rim pressure. I like to see a little bit more counters and a little bit more willing as a shooter. But I don't think he's that far along as a shooter. Um, it's more about seeing the counters as a driver improve and seeing the defensive discipline refine up a little bit. He's great instincts, but just staying home and staying solid a little bit, I think he could benefit from there. Um, I guess I will, I'll talk about uh, Marjan just because we didn't get to him yet. Um, and then maybe we'll pick one more from that guy, from that grab bag. But Marjan, what I really love with him is uh, in high school, he was this on-ball heavy scoring wing, and he has kind of just done a complete 180 in terms of approach and, and what he's being asked to do for G League Ignite and is playing the ancillary wing and is absolutely excelling. Uh, he's not doing too much. He's getting everything within the flow of the offense. But we see the flashes of – the, that on-ball creation that he had in high school and in JUCO when he's attacking closeouts or getting to his spots in the mid-range, um, comfortable getting downhill. I've loved his defensive activity. Gets a little bit jumpy at times, and I'd like to see that get reined in. But 
as a wing, I loved his energy at the point of attack. He's alert and help side stunting, uh, getting really good rotations as a low man. But I think the, th- the biggest area for me, I'd love to see the three-point volume get up. Um, he just seems a little bit too gun-shy taking those. And I think he's playing a little bit too conservative. Some Part of me is like, yeah, like, let's bust out the bag a little bit. Like, let's see what you got. And um, I think he's done really well playing as this ancillary wing. And I think it's skyrocketing him up draft boards. And, like, I'm definitely buying into it. Um, and I, he's just someone I'd love to see in, like, team workouts to see what, like, he really has, um, especially as a shooter and shot creator because I think he's hiding it a little bit. But his ability to just plug and play and be like a legit plus player uh, for G League Ignite as a draft draft prospect. I know he's a little bit older, so it's not necessarily the same case as Dyson and, and Jaden Hardy, but he's been a real plus player. So someone I've really enjoyed watching and am intently tracking moving forward. Um, and then whom, who do we want to talk about from the rest of these guys we'll talk about Matherin honestly because I think uh he's he's been really good this year and I think I want to like explain some of my skepticism with like the ceiling stuff but also give credit to like where he's just been undeniably very good um where he's been very good is is an off-ball score um great cutter really good movement shooter I love his shot prep the mechanics are super versatile gets great elevation um really flows into like he's been a killer off of like pin downs and movement screens all year um and arizona's my probably my favorite team to watch in the entire country and like his awesome absolutely awesome um yeah they're my favorite team to watch the entire country and matherin's movement shooting is a huge reason why um i'd like to see him get a little bit more comfortable off the bounce i'm not fully sold there especially in the passing it, it like seems a little bit average to below average to me um, in terms of the decision-making and the windows that he could hit, but he doesn't. And just getting to the rim, it uh, doesn't get to the rim enough for my liking. I think he settles for a, a lot of floaters and mid-ranges, but I mean, he has a great touch to rely on it. So Floater yeah. goes in, which which gives yeah. you a little bit more comfort to it, but I agree. Nope. I'd like to see him be able to get that extra step and finish at the rim more in the half court. Yeah, no, 100%. But like, again, no prospect is perfect. Um, and if he's an off-ball scorer that's making – uh, especially the catch and shoots threes. If he's getting to his pull up and the pull up is falling, and he has you know, that in between game, like I can kind of excuse the rim stuff a little bit because I, I'm not really going to rely on him for much creation, anyways. I really do wish he was actually six seven instead of like six four and a half, because <laughs> um, like I think he's definitely a shooting guard, which is going to put like a little bit more pressure on his on ball stuff. And I think like he really toes the line to like a true combo that can like run second side actions and have juice off the balance versus like a complete off all guys from like max christie um and i think you know the combo guy like the co- term combo guy gets caught, tossed around a lot basically what i'm getting at is just someone that can like actually provide off ball gravity and score and shoot off pin downs but then can like run your second side actions or bail you out late in the shot clock and like actually create their own stuff i'm not so sure matherin can do all the things i named in the ladder yet but that's something i'm closely monitoring and the defense i like to see him be, be like a little bit more out there on defense i feel like he's conservative and just like kind of not goes through the motions but just like does what's asked of him to like a menial degree um i'd like to see him use those tools and like the open court and get through passing lanes be more aggressive on tags um put a little bit more pressure on especially off the ball but he's been in a role and has absolutely excelled in it so gotta give him credit where it's due yeah and worth noting too that matherin is going to be younger on draft night than chet holmgren like he, mm-hmm. even though he's a sophomore, yeah, he's he he's he's going to be 19 years old when the draft comes. So, 
uh, again, Jake, always thrilled to have you on to talk basketball, to be able to go through all of the things that you've been doing because you always do your homework and you always bring, uh, bring some, some good takes and, and informed opinions out here. So make sure you let the people know before we get you out of here, what do you have coming down the pipeline work-wise? What have you just put out there on the step in? What do you got coming up? Let the people know where they can find you. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at Jake in the paint. Uh, that's probably the best way to keep up with everything. Um, I just wrote a piece of the step in. Uh, it's kind of an ongoing series that I'm hoping to put out like once every three, four weeks, uh, depending upon how much my professors want to lay off the schoolwork once we get back. So, but I had focused on Chet's defense. Uh, I wrote about Trevion Williams' offense and Notre Dame's Blake Wesley, who is very, very interesting. Um, so I gave those three guys a pretty in-depth look. Um, try to keep things a little bit more concise this time. So you can check that out at thestepping.com. It's on my Twitter. And then um, in the next coming weeks, I'm doing some work for Cerebro Sports now, and I'll be in the gym at some high school events, and I'll have some write-ups and scouting reports coming from then. So again, um, give me a follow at Jake in the Paint. Give Cerebro Sports a follow at Cerebro Sports on Twitter, um, and just keep everything, keep up with everything there. The the Stepien piece is fantastic. We got a chance to to read sure. it early this morning, and and really got a lot of great tidbits from there. But uh, again, thank you for coming on, everybody who's watching or listening to this one. Really appreciate you sticking through this with us. Hope you got something from it. And a reminder, as always, to hashtag ban the take foul. Thanks, Jake. <laughs>